This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. Uh, my name is Bryce Staggs. I'm a pastoral resident here. So I'm filling in as, as uh, Travis um, is busy with the um, upward celebration. Uh, the, first off, as I get started, does everybody have a handout? It's going to be more difficult to write, but I trust you all can do it. I didn't think about that when I was putting it together. So, yeah, uh, but yeah, Travis, he's there. I, I found it very interesting. I did uh, Upward Devotions all day yesterday, and let me just tell you that Pastor Travis is the nicest basketball coach I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, most coaches yell at their kids to get the rebound, and I just hear Travis over there, uh, can you guard him, please? And, and, hey, if you could do this, please. Yeah, if you guys could do this, please. And I was like, Travis, no wonder your team lost. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so, so anyways, but, but it is a pleasure to be here. I'm going to, sorry, go ahead and tell you guys, I'm going to be messing with this mic all night. I'm going to pull it down and get it out of my face and hope it picks me up. So, uh, that'll work. So anyways, we're continuing talking about, uh, the new Testament and looking at a, the new Testament survey. And tonight we're going to look at three really specific things. Number one, how do we know the New Testament is true? And we're going to look at that from the stance of uh, proving that the New Testament is true, and then looking at how we got the New Testament, and then finally when we got the New Testament. So the, those last two we're not going to spend quite as much time on as um, how do we know that it's true, but we're, nonetheless, we're going to look at all of those things uh, this evening. So um, when we look there, the first thing I, I want us to see is this um, quote at the top by Peter Kreeft, uh, which is, why would the apostles lie? If they lied, what was their motive? What did they, sorry, what did they get out of it? What they got out of it was misunderstanding, rejection, persecution, torture, and martyrdom. Hardly a list of perks. And, and, and so Peter Kreeft, he's making the point here that there was really nothing to gain for the apostles by lying, right? So, so when we ask the question, how do we know the New Testament is true? Well, from a philosophical standpoint, we could say, well, it's, it's most likely true because the people, if they supposedly made it up, they didn't really gain anything from it, right? And in fact, they lost everything because of it. And, and, and so we, we see this when people uh, make things up a lot. When, you know, whenever we personally, whenever we lie, we lie so that we can gain some sort of adv advantage, right? Sometimes it's the advantage of not getting in trouble, but nonetheless, we lie about things and we make things up so that we can get some kind of an advantage. But the apostles here, when they, when they are telling all of this stuff and writing everything down about who Jesus Christ was, they were not making any advantage because what were they writing? They were writing, get rid of everything that you have, serve other people, do this. And, and for most of the apostles, it led to them being martyred and to their death, right? And, and so um, that's just kind of an apparent thing that sticks out there. And so as we look at, at is the New Testament true, we're going to give several different um, evidences for how we know the New Testament is true, or we can give uh, pretty significant evidence so that the idea that it's true is far greater than the idea that it would be false, right, uh, when we look at that. So, so is the New Testament true? Well, when we look at if the New Testament is true, the first thing that we see is that in the last uh, 16 chapters of Acts, there are 84 facts listed by Luke that have been confirmed by historical and archaeological research. Okay, So 84 facts listed in the final 16 chapters of Acts that have been confirmed by historical and archaeological research. So Luke is the writer of Acts, and Luke was a doctor, and even when you read the Gospel of Luke and when you read Acts, 
it's really good that he wrote Acts because he is always extremely accurate in everything that he wrote, okay? Um, he, he made sure that everything he had down was true. And so what this is saying is Luke would say things about where the early church um, apostles went and where people met in the early church. And what this is saying is 84 different things that Luke said, hey, they went to this specific place or they went here or they did this. It is confirmed by historical and archaeological research, which are people who came a couple years after, a couple centuries after, whatever, who are not Christians or who do not necessarily believe uh, Christianity is true, but they say, yes, everything that Luke said in the book of Acts is true. Everything that is here is true, right? Um, and, and so those are all these facts. And so they, don't, they didn't, um, archaeologists, archaeologists and uh, historical people, they didn't look at the book of Acts and say, oh, Luke got it wrong here. He got it wrong here. No, in fact, they said everywhere that Luke makes a claim, he is 100% correct. Okay, so, so we see that. And then it's the same thing in uh, John 2. Beginning in John 2 through the rest of the book, there are 59 facts listed that have been confirmed by historical and archaeological research. So, it, so it's the same type of deal as Luke there, but even in the book of John, and, and the reason it kind of starts in uh, John 2 is because John chapter 1 um, is kind of a poem by John, and it's talking about kind of the past, and it doesn't have as much um, historical significance like the rest of the book of John does. But through those first two, we're saying people who have stepped away, who are as best as you can be unbiased, are looking at this and saying all the facts that Luke states, that John states, all of them are true, all of them are accurate. And so we see that there. And then, um, and I should go back real quick, the reason that we're kind of talking about is the New Testament true is, is number one, because it's important for us, for us to say that it is true. And if we have grown up in church or if we are Christians, we say, yes, I believe in 1 Timothy 4.12. I believe that the word of God is living and is active, and I believe that it is useful for correcting and teaching and reproving all these things. But at the end of the day, when we look at this, uh, we also, we need to just say, oh, I don't just blindly believe it, right? We want to make sure we have evidence for that because a lot of people, even some people who would claim to be Christians would say, no, Scripture is not 100% accurate. But we want to make sure we have great evidence to say, yes, Scripture is accurate. This is what, what I believe and this is why I believe it. So when we look at that, um, let's look at, you have a chart there. And so we have a couple, uh, the, the top um, five things before the New Testament, all of those are historical writings, are um, older writings that pretty much every scholar says, yes, these writings are true, the person that wrote them are true, um, and all that. But if we look at that, right, so most likely uh, the most famous that you all would uh, know is Homer's uh, Iliad and the Odyssey, right? Uh, I don't know if all of you had to read that in school. I did. I don't remember any of it. It wasn't fun um, I, whatsoever. I actually, I, I remember a little side note here. Um, the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, uh, which was a pretty popular movie, apparently is taken from um, the Odyssey. 
And if you read the Odyssey and you watch the movie, I have yet to figure out how they actually uh, are the same whatsoever. But apparently, uh, they're based off the same story, right? Uh, so that's kind of the most famous. But even Homer was written in 9th century BC. The earliest copy is from the 9th century BC. There are 643 copies, and the accuracy of those copies is 95%, okay? And everybody says, yes, that is good, okay? If you look at the four above that... Um, Herodotus, 5th century BC, the earliest copy that we have is from AD 900, and there are only eight copies. The accuracy of the copies is pretty much, they're not very accurate, but every scholar would say, oh, but that is still written by Herodotus, and um, he has those things. But then, so we see all of that, right? We see where the date written is pretty far away from the earliest copy, uh, and then there are a few number of copies, and the accuracy is not really great. That, that blank there is saying, that there's really no accuracy whatsoever. But then when we look at the New Testament, it was written in the first century AD. The earliest copies that we have are from the second century AD. We have 5,000, probably a little more than 5,000 copies, and the accuracy is 99%, right? So even looking at that, if people are going to say, oh, well, the first five were clearly all written by who they say, and we trust those to be true, how can you not trust the New Testament to be true as well? Because the, the evidence is overwhelming for that, right? And so, and, and really, that accuracy being 99%, um, as we see, and even with the next thing is the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in 1947, uh, because even with that, the accuracy was all um, about uh, 95%, the accuracy of the Dead Sea Scrolls, but all of the inaccuracies are commas and periods and um, all punctuation not being in the correct place. But the words that were there were all proper. And so the Dead Sea Scrolls, pretty cool story. Um, some kids were playing in, the de uh, in some caves next to the Dead Sea, threw, um, threw a rock in a cave, heard a crash, and went in there, and they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls um, are, um, are they I put in your handout? They are two copies of Isaiah discovered in Gunram Cave near the Dead Sea, and they were a thousand years earlier than the oldest datist manuscript previously known, which is AD 980. They proved to be word-for-word -word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text. The 5% of variation consisted chiefly of obvious slips of the pen and variation in spelling. So think about that, right? You're a kid, and you're playing in a cave, and you're throwing rocks, and you make one of the greatest discoveries that uh, Christians have found in, in a really long time, right? The Dead Sea Scrolls were a really big deal. I remember when I was in uh, seventh grade, I believe, and we traveled up to Charlotte to see the Dead Sea Scrolls or a little fragment of it. They didn't let us see all of it, but um, it, it was a really big deal, right, because it was manuscripts that were uh, written on papyrus paper and were dated so much earlier than what we previously had. So that was a really big find and showing, oh yeah, all this that we said we had, like it was real. So um, as we look at those things, we see that. And then I want us to go over 10 different things um, that the New Testament writers included or did in their text. And these 10 things are really uh, 10 reasons that are really good as to why we can also say that the New Testament is true, right? So, the New Testament writers, number one, they, including, they included embarrassing details about themselves, right? They included embarrassing details about themselves. 
So if we just think about this, right, on a purely philosophical level, if I am um, writing a biography about my life, okay, when I'm 90 years old, and I am talking about how great uh, my time here as a pastoral resident at Rocky Creek has been, and I'm going to go into great detail tell about that, and I'm going to talk about a lot of people that I've met, but I'm not going to talk about how David makes fun of me every time that he sees me, okay? I'm not going to do it, right? I'm not. I'm going to leave out embarrassing details that happen to me. And pretty much everybody, whenever they write things about themselves, no matter what it is, we always want to show ourselves in the best light that we possibly can, right? We don't really want to be embarrassed about things. But the New Testament writers, they wrote these things that put them not in a great light most of the time, that were embarrassing um, about them. So if we look at that, like, we wouldn't put ourselves in a place where, oh, I got in trouble here, and I did this wrong, and I did this wrong. But, but so many times we see that, that they don't understand Jesus, right? So many times Jesus asks, um, is, is he the Christ? And they're like, well, Jesus, you're Jesus, and you're here. Like, how, how are you the Messiah? How are you this? And they never really understand what Jesus is saying. Even in uh, Mark chapter 14, we see that the disciples are uncaring, Jesus is going, and, and he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is praying, and he says, Hey, disciples, can you keep watch for me? And they said, hey, Okay, Jesus. And Jesus leaves, and Jesus comes back a few hours later, and they're asleep, right? Uh, they didn't do what Jesus asked. And then Jesus, this guy they followed for years, uh, their best friend, when he dies, they don't show up to his death. They don't give him a proper burial. They don't do any of these things, right? Um, they, they don't do that. They're afraid. They're running away. Um, and, and then even Thomas, whenever, the, whenever Jesus comes back, Thomas is like, no, Jesus, I don't believe who you are. And so, so many times the disciples and the writers of the New Testament included embarrassing details about themselves. Not only that, but they also included embarrassing details and difficult sayings of Jesus. They did that as well, right? So, so not only do these writers, and would we as writers, would we not want to paint ourselves in a positive light, but we would also say, hey, you know this guy Jesus that everything we believe is based upon? He was, he was the greatest, and, and clearly Jesus was, but there are several instances in the New Testament where we see Jesus approached his family and they thought that, he was, that Jesus was drunk. They thought that Jesus was out of his mind and that he was crazy and, and all of these things. And so they included these things that were somewhat embarrassing for Jesus as well, right? That, that his own family rejected him and not everyone loved Jesus. And, and so we can see that it's historically accurate because they weren't making these things up just so that people would follow him and believe him, right? Uh, so we see that. And then number three, the Bible, uh, the New Testament writers left in demanding sayings of Jesus. They left in demanding sayings of Jesus. So again, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking up my own religion and what it's going to be. And obviously I can't be the savior in my own religion because nobody would believe that. So I have, um, I have Bob over here that I've, that I've made the savior of my own religion. But if Bob teaches something... And, and even if Bob is a, a, a historically factual person, right, that, um, that people in history have always said was true, I'm still going to say, well, he didn't really say this. I, he, I'm going to turn it to make it say whatever I want to say and whatever I want to do, right? But the disciples and the New Testament writers don't do that. 
they say, hey, Jesus said this, and this is difficult, and we don't live up to this, and we probably kind of wish we could do it another way, but this is what Jesus said, and so this is what we're going to do. And so they left in the demanding sayings of Jesus. They left those things in. And, and, and so then, uh, number four, we see that uh, the New Testament writers carefully distinguish Jesus' words from their own. They carefully distinguish Jesus' words from their own. And we're going to get into this a little bit, but, but really, uh, most of Paul's letters in the New Testament, especially the book of Romans um, and, and the book of Galatians as well, is Paul writing to these churches to correct different theology. Okay, so in, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, Paul is writing and he talks about how he opposed uh, Peter to his face in front of all these people because Peter is teaching that uh, salvation is by faith alone and not by works. But then the moment that some other Jews come in the room, Peter is like, nope, I'm not doing that. It is more like, and his actions are saying it's more about work than it is about faith. And so Paul takes a big chunk of Galatians to address Peter and to say, hey, you're wrong. You people are wrong, okay? And, and, and so instead of, of just saying, yeah, Peter, it was okay that he did this, blah, blah, blah. They're saying, no, Peter's words and what he was doing is wrong because it differs from Jesus. But it would have been so much easier and would have solved so many theological debates in the early church if they wouldn't have distinguished their own words from Jesus' words and just kind of said, hey, these are the teachings, this is what it is. But that's not what they did whatsoever. And so then, uh, number five, the New Testament writers include events related to the resurrection that they would not have invented. They include events related to the resurrection that they would not have invented. And there's a major one uh, we mentioned earlier. They don't really have a place to bury Jesus, and that's one. But anybody else know one of the big reasons that uh, number five is in here? And what that is that they included that they probably wouldn't have made up if it wasn't true? Anybody? Nope. Yeah, so that's one, right? When they see Jesus, they don't recognize him. But not only that, uh, when who were, who were the first people to see that the tomb was empty? The women, right? And, and so back in uh, biblical times when this was there, it was not good. Uh, I, w I won't say it wasn't good, but it wasn't as believable uh, for women to, to come and to say that, right? Nobody believed women in that day and age, and, and they wouldn't be able to even testify in court and Yet the basis of this resurrection was discovered by women, okay? And so if I'm a New Testament writer and I want people to believe what I'm saying, women aren't going to be the ones to discover that, right, in that day and age. That's not how it, how it would have looked. And, and so the burial of Jesus is, um, is another thing there that they probably wouldn't have included. And so they were the first witnesses. And then uh, number six, uh, the New Testament writers include more than 30 historically confirmed people in their writings. The New Testament writers include more than 30 historically confirmed people in their writings. And because of space, I left the chart out of this. But we see that there are several different people um, throughout all the New Testament who aren't just characters that are made up for the sake of the Bible, but they are people who actually existed. And if you go read historical commentaries and things that have nothing to do with the Bible, those same people 
will be mentioned. And so uh, one of them, right, like we have Caesar Augustus, we have Pilate, we have all these people who are actual historically confirmed people that they talk about. And the reason that, that that's a big deal is because they're mentioning these historically confirmed people and saying, hey, they were a part of this story in some way, shape, or form, right? But if that is the case, if the, histor- if the gospel writers had departed from historical fact, either by exaggeration or outright invention, hostile witnesses familiar with the events of Jesus' life could have and would have exposed them, right? That would have been happening. And even these historically confirmed people, they would have come out and they would have said, yeah, they said that I was part of this, but I wasn't a part of this. This wasn't true whatsoever. But these historically confirmed people had nothing to say about it, right? They didn't come and say, oh, no, this isn't true. They all said, hey, this is true, right? So then, uh, number seven, the New Testament writers include divergent details. And this may seem a little uh, self-refuting that they would include divergent details, but uh, it's just like in today's um, court systems, whatever, if, uh, if David and I are in trouble for something and we say that we're innocent, which if it's David and I, we most likely are not innocent, um, then, right, and they come and they ask us, and David and I's stories are 100% the exact same, and we say everything word for word, nobody's going to actually believe that, we did, that we're innocent, right? Because clearly we talked about it and said, hey, let's say this, and then we'll say this, and, and we'll get out of it, right? And, and so the fact that the New Testament writers included divergent details and some of their things were a little different is not to say that it's wrong or that it's contradictory. No, it's to say everybody here is even tonight as we're talking, I'm sure there's already things that I've said that when you leave and you talk about it, you're going to say, I thought he said this. No, I thought he said this. And we're going to have kind of different viewpoints because we all have different perspectives. And it's the same way with the New Testament writers. And so the fact that they include divergent details is a pretty big deal in showing they didn't sit there and say, okay, let's make sure that everything here is, is, is accurate. They're saying, no, because we saw it, we know that it's accurate, even if a couple words may be different. And then number eight, uh, the New Testament writers challenge their readers to check out verifiable facts, even facts about miracles. And, and, and so even with this, as we get into it, um, people who, um, who are, are saying something that's not truthful they're often, they're going to try to cover it up as much as possible. But the New Testament writers time and time again said, don't believe me? Go check it out. Go, go see what it is. There's plenty of other resources that you can look at that are going to back up exactly what I'm saying. And, and, and so even there, um, and, and even different facts about miracles as well. And then number nine, the New Testament writers describe miracles like other historical events with simple, unembellished accounts. I have a friend, and I love him to death, but sometimes he tells me stories, and I'm not sure if he's being telling the truth or not, because his story, um, let's say, here, let me grab this. I'll do this as best I can as I make it up. I'm not as good as he is, but he would grab this chair here, and he would come to me, and he would be like, Bryce, I found the coolest chair today. It is it, it sits up higher than everybody else's chair. And I mean, it is the greatest chair I've ever seen. And it is cleaner. And it is it's such a beautiful color. And all these different things, right? And then you look at it and you're like, ah, it's just a chair. <laughs> That's all it is, right? But 
And, and so I have a friend, and every time he tells these stories, I'm like, oh, that sounds like the coolest thing ever. And then I go and see it, and I'm like, you have a really big imagination, and you're a really good salesperson, but it's not that great. And, and so the New Testament writers, when they're writing about these miracles, they're stating them as factual. They're not saying, oh, and then he did this, and, and you should have seen how the crowd responded, and they all did this and this. No, it was, this is exactly what happened. And, and there's really nothing added to that. They didn't embellish in what the story was. They just kept it in how it was, right? Um, and, and, and so that's, a, that's another way that we see. They weren't really trying to sell what it is. They were just stating the facts. And then finally, number 10, Sorry, we got cut off there at the top. Um, but the New Testament writers abandoned their long-held sacred beliefs and practices, adopted new ones, and did not deny their testimony under persecution or threat of death. So the New Testament writers abandoned their long-held sacred beliefs and practices, adopted new ones, and did not deny their testimony under persecution or threat of death. And so if we think about that, so often, even, even for me, if I, I have the tendency to shrink back from what I say I believe whenever anybody opposes me in that, right? I, we, I have that tendency. And, and, and so the New Testament writers, they wrote this, and when they were pushed on it, and when they faced death, they didn't say, nope, nope, it's not true, we just made it up. No, they were willing to die for it. And they were willing to leave everything else behind to say, hey, this is true. This is true. And so these 10 things, they, can't, they don't necessarily outright prove, yes, the New Testament is true. But if you put these 10 things together, it gives overwhelming evidence that this makes sense and that it is true. And, and, and so we see that there. Um, and, and so again, I'll say this again, if the gospel writers had departed from historical fact, either by exaggeration or outright invention, hostile witnesses familiar with events of Jesus' life could have and would have exposed them. And, and, and so uh, as we look at that, nobody did that. Nobody in the history went and did that. And, so, um, and, and then we also look at, um, right under that, we have some historians, right? Uh, and, and these historians, they were alive at the time. They were alive when, when Paul was writing his letters, when John was writing his letters. They saw all of these things. Josephus there, the third one down, he was a Jewish historian, probably the most famous. He was alive when Jesus was alive. And you can find so many writings by Josephus, and he does not oppose he never says, nope, what these New Testament writers are saying, it's not true whatsoever. He's saying everything that's happening, it's a fact. And he's not saying, saying it because he believes it. He is simply writing down exactly what happens as well. And, and so we have all of those there. So um, as we look at this, and especially as we get into this last point, because um, we, we have this evidence for how we know the New Testament is true. And the reason I started there is because this next little bit, uh, these next two points, and I don't have all the answers, but there's a chance as you start to look at this, you're going to say, wait a minute, if it is true, why was it this difficult to put everything together? And so that's kind of why I started there. And then we're going to go into how was the New Testament put together and when was the New Testament put together. So I want to do a quick little exercise real quick. So I have one, two, three, four, five, six of these. And a couple extra rows. So uh, sorry on the front row. It's just y'all too, so I'm going to leave y'all out. But uh, David, I'll get you to help me out. Um, if you can 
uh, pass these along okay. to the first person on each side over there. So the last six rows there. And what we're going to do, make sure you don't show those to anybody. Uh, David, yeah, she can see it. But, but once you get that piece of paper, don't show it to anybody else. We're going to play a quick game of telephone here. Um, so the way this game works, if you've never played, is you're going to read the, uh, what is on that piece of paper, and then you're going to whisper it to the person beside you, and they're going to whisper it to the person beside them, and so on and so forth, until we get down uh, right over here, and we're going to see what we came up with, okay? Um, so, got one left. Do we have an extra? Everybody in the rows? Food is good. Yeah, you can't say it out loud. David's going to ruin our exercise here. Uh, so whenever y'all are ready, right over there, if you can just tell it to the person beside you, and to make sure nobody else can hear, I am going to keep talking in this. It'll make it a little more difficult. And um, so that way, at least as we get a little further, so we'll see how this goes. And I'm sure the recording of me talking really loud aimlessly is going to be a little interesting to people online. But um, as we go, and then if... if uh, yeah, if, if you're on these rows over here, if y'all don't mind actually getting up and going over right over here once they get there. So uh, we'll keep going. Here we go. Um, David might have ruined it. I hope this works. I don't know. It, you may have. It's okay. We'll see how it goes. It's going to break down somewhere, hopefully. I don't know. I really hope so. I, I was debating whether to do this or a different exercise, but oh, is that a is that a different row? They should have came all the way across. Oh, okay. Oh, you got the thing. Did you keep them in order? I'm I'm glad you were careful to keep them in order. Okay, yes, we can start in the back row. And for the most part, we did uh, get it right. Y'all did better than I expected. Um, and probably a little better than I had hoped as well. Uh, that's okay. But uh, when we look at that, we see that, that when anything is changing hands that many times, things do get um, ca and can get a little um, messed up, right? Um, and, and, and change slightly a little bit. But at the end of the day, everybody, all of them involved cooking, on the stove or in the oven, right? And, and so we see that that for, for us in this case, in this room, the meaning didn't change whatsoever. And, and so, and as we, if we could go back and if we were to all work as a group, we would easily say, this is exactly what it started with, right? And, and we would be able to do that. And so, um, so let's look at how was the New Testament put together? How was the New Testament put together? So um, if you didn't know this, um, just in case, there are how many books in the New Testament? Sixty-six in all the Bible. Thirty-nine. I know y'all had it last week. Twenty-seven, right? 27. 27 in the New Testament. Yeah. So 27 in the New, 39 in the Old, 66 total, right? So, um, so there's 27 books in the New Testament. If you go and you look, um, that is those 66 books and all of those are in the 
what we're going to say, the Christian, uh, Christian Bible, right? Those 66 books. In, and then we have 27 in the New Testament. If you go and you look at a Catholic Bible, uh, there's a couple books that are added there, right? And, and so some uh, religions have added a couple books. Um, and then there's even some that there is the... Um, sorry, I forgot what they are. There is the Gospel of Judas Iscariot. Um, that was written that is not in the 27 books, and rightfully so. So the Gospel of Judas Iscariot um, was clearly not a part uh, and did not fit as a part of the canon and as the Bible as the whole because the Gospel of Judas Iscariot, and we all know Judas is the guy that betrayed Jesus, says that Judas found out at some point, Judas Iscariot found out that Jesus was not actually the Messiah and was just pretending to be, and so that's why he betrayed Jesus, and so Judas actually did a really good thing, right? And so that's what the Gospel of uh, Judas Iscariot actually says, okay? So a lot of the books that are left out of these 27 books in the New Testament they were left out for good reason, okay, um, because they, they clearly don't work. So the, the New Testament documents were hand-copied and circulated early on. They were, they were hand-copied and circulated early on. So Paul didn't write the letter to Philippians that we're in now, and he didn't hold on to it for a while. No, he wrote it, and then he sent it out, and it, and it was circulated. And, and so uh, Colossians 4.16, 1 Thessalonians 5.27, and 2 Peter 3.15-16 are all different verses where we see that these letters in the New Testament have been circulated, have been handwritten, and have been carried on. Okay, And, and so it's not like the New Testament writers uh, wrote it and then put it away for a little bit. Okay, and so if any of you have ever read um, To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, okay, anybody read it? A lot of people, good amount, yeah, good amount of people. So uh, if you know anything about that book, and that was actually one of the books, unlike uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, that I did read when I was in school and I enjoyed. And so Harper Lee wrote the book To Kill a Mockingbird, and that is the only book that she ever wrote. And then um, 2000... 15, I believe, um, another book by Harper Lee all of a sudden was going to be released when Harper Lee was in her 90s right before she passed away and her younger sister took over her estate and released this book and put it under the title of Harper Lee. And so to this day, there is debate and people say, well, this book is titled that, uh, that Harper Lee is the author, but nobody is really 100% sure that she is the author. And she kind of gets the credit for it. But she wrote this one book so long ago in, in, in the 50s and 60s, and then she waited so long until this one. And so nobody actually believes, if, if you do research on it, uh, that she even wanted that book to be released. But once her younger sister took over her estate, she just kind of said, I, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it. Um, and, and so the New Testament writers didn't do that. They didn't do that. They said, hey, here is, here is this letter to the church in Philippi or, or, or uh, to the church in Galatia. Go take it, send it out, get the word out to everybody. And so they wanted to make sure that these documents were well circulated and that they were handwritten. And so um, how the New Testament was put together, there were, um, there were two early church councils, and, and it's listed a little earlier, a little later, and we'll get to that. Uh, but the Council of Hippo and the Council of Carthage and both of those, these councils, it's these early um, church leaders who get together and they sit in a room all day and they debate what 27 books should be included in the New Testament. That's what they do. 
okay? Uh, which sounds, for some of you in this room, that sounds like the most boring thing ever, uh, but I'm sure that it was rather lively with long discourses of people giving great evidence. So, um, so the New Testament canon, when it was put together, the early church leaders insisted that, uh, that recognized books that were a part of this canon, right? That were a part of this 20, what would be the 27, uh, they had to meet certain criteria. And one of those is that it had to be apostolic. So it was written by or tied closely to an apostle. Okay, so all 27 books in the New Testament are written by or tied closely to an apostle. And so that is someone who was with Jesus, who saw Jesus, um, and, and was there. The only one that maybe some of you came to mind is the book of Hebrews, because we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews um, with 100% certainty. However, the book of Hebrews um, fits the other two criteria extremely well, and it is clear that it that it is um, an inspired word, and so they included that in, in there as well. So uh, the first criteria is that it is apostolic. The second is uh, Catholic, in which Catholic technically means the church, okay? Um, so I'm not saying the Catholic religion here. I am saying the church as a whole, widely, if not universally, recognized by the churches, okay? So all of these books were widely, if not universally, recognized by the churches. And so that's what Catholic here uh, means. And so even if you read some older writings um, that and people say, I believe in the Catholic Church, they're not saying at, that they believe in that certain religion. They are saying we believe in the true church of God. And, and so that's what Catholic without any distortions actually means. I probably should have chose a better word, but there you go, um, if you didn't know that. So, uh, so it's widely, if not universally, recognized by the churches. And, and so, again, we see some conflict. Um, this great man by the name of Martin Luther, who um, helped start the Reformation, does not uh, died saying that the book of James should not be included in the New Testament. And if you read the book of James uh, and Luke, uh, sorry, Martin Luther was convinced that it was incorrect and disputed the rest of Scripture because in some places it reads like James was saying that salvation is not by faith alone, but you also have to have works as well. And so Martin Luther went to his grave saying, no, James should not be a part of that. Um, and, and so those are things that, that they talked about. And if I meant to look it up, I didn't get a chance. Martin Luther has one of the greatest quotes, uh, even though I disagree with him, um, ever as to um, why the book of James shouldn't be um, in there. But, but overall, uh, so those are the first two, apostolic, Catholic, and then third, they have to be orthodox. So not in contradiction to any recognized apostolic book or doctrine. Not in contradiction to any recognized apostolic book or doctrine. And, and so how this works, right, is... They, they would really, they would go and, and, and in these councils, they would settle on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, we know these are the Gospels. We know these are from the disciples. We know that they are accurate. And, and so they are here and they are in this canon. Okay, and then we know Paul. We know that his writings are all trustworthy. We know that we're true. The disciples vouched for him. Uh, all of these things happen. So all of his writings are here as well. Okay, so, so now what do we do with First Peter. What do we do with these? Well, they all, they're all accepted by the churches. They're written by apostles. They are not in, con in contradiction with anything the gospels say. They're not in contradiction with anything that Paul says. So those things are good. Because what, what happens is, and if you look at 
um, all the books that were left out, all of them in some way majorly do not meet uh, these three criteria. And, and, and so that's what the people um, got together and talked about. So, um, so that's kind of how the New Testament was put together, right? Um, and, and, and it really looked at those three things. So then let's look at when was the New Testament put together. When was the first, when was the New Testament put together? So the, the New Testament writers, while they circulated these books, it didn't really come together as one book um, and, until much later. And so the first canonical list that matches the 27 books in the New Testament uh, is given by Athanasius in A.D. 367. In A.D. 367. So Jesus died um, between A.D. Uh, 30 and 36, somewhere around there. Um, and, and so it is about 330 years later that Athanasius uh, proposes these 27 books be considered what is the New Testament, okay? And, and, and so that's what that is. But as we look at this, I want us to think about this fact as well. We look at this now, and it seems a little odd to us, um, but we're 2,000 years removed from this, okay? So in the grand scheme of things, right, like we do not, right now, we don't doubt things necessarily that happened in, like, we don't doubt the Revolutionary War in 1770s, right? We don't doubt things that happened in the 1800s. Like, we, we're not far, so far removed that we say, oh, that could have never happened. No, we still believe that's true, and, and we still have generations of people that are trusted that say that. And so in AD 367, they're in the same boat. They're not that far removed, right? So for them, 367 was was the same as saying, oh, that was about the Revolutionary War, which I know sounds like a long time ago, but it really wasn't in, in the grand scheme of history, right? So Athanasius goes and he says, AD, uh, in AD 367, he goes and he says, these are the 27 books that I believe should be in the New Testament. And, and so what had happened before this is most of uh, whether it were was Christians, whether it was um, a couple different variations of followers, whatever it was, um, the early church, they always had around these 27 books. Some different uh, um, people would take a couple books out and add some more. But for the most part, these 27 books, while it wasn't official, this is what pretty much everybody said. And, and so this was in AD 367. So then um, two early church councils, uh, the Council of Hippo in 393 AD and the Council of Carthage in 397, they confirmed the list. They went and they sat down and they said, Athanasius, um, he has proposed in you know 30 years ago that these should be the 27 books. Let's discuss it. Let's make sure we all believe that. Right? Um, and, and, and so that's kind of what happened. Um, there's also, I'm trying to think. That's all I'm going to say about it. There's so many councils um, that used to happen in the early churches, like the Council of Nicaea and, and all these, but it was a bunch of old men that got together and talked. Um, and so that was pretty much it. So um, 
Part of me wonders if they viewed it back then kind of how uh, pastors in the area today uh, view the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know if it's, if it's quite like that or not. But, um, it, th- but that's pretty much what they did. And so the two early church councils, uh, they got together and they said, okay, this is the confirmed list. This is what we're going to do with these 27 books. Okay, so then... Um, and just kind of as we close, I want to give us just kind of a clear picture and timeline so we see how it all fits together. So from AD 45 to, to AD uh, 100, the books of the New Testament were written, okay? So this is where all the apostles were sitting down and they were writing everything that, was gonna, that would end up being these 27 books, okay? And then from AD 100 to 200, these books were collected and they were read. And, and so... They were very widely circulated, and, and so we have all of these things. And then from 82 to 300, they were examined, examined and compared with spurious writings. So with some different writings, they were examined, they were compared. They wanted to make sure everything was accurate um, and to do all those things. And then from uh, between 300 and 400 A.D., agreement was obtained on what the 27 books in the New Testament should be, okay? So, so that's kind of the timeline. It wasn't like Athanasius in 367 was like, oh, this is what it's going to be, let's go with it. And they all said, sounds good to me. No, it took them uh, a long time to come up with, with what those things were going to be. And, and so when we look at that, I want us to, to understand that it wasn't one person that said, oh, this is what it's going to be, but it, but it was a group of people who dedicated their lives to following Jesus Christ um, and, and making sure that, um, that Scripture was cared for that came up with this, okay? Um, and, 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 so they, and they really did that, and, and they were very careful with it. Um, and, and so as we look at that, so even in three to 400 A.D., these books are, are still widely... Um, they're being circulated, right, in, in Hebrew and Greek. And, um, and, and so as the church kind of continues, and so even today as we look at our modern uh, uh, versions or modern translations, um, when we look at those, there are groups of, of men and women who sit in a room for hours on hours, on months, on years, and say, okay, is this the best way that, that this is translated and this is translated? And so when we look at Scripture and we look at the 66 books of the Bible total, the 27 in the New Testament, um, they came because people have cared about those things and, and have, have studied those things and have made sure that they are, are accurate. So, um, so I, I say all that to say, um, if you have questions about, okay, I don't understand how it was put together here or, or why did it take so long or what, whatever, um, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about those things because I know that how the New Testament is put together and when it was put together are some things that oftentimes say, well, yeah, if it took 300 years after Jesus' death for them to put together, how do we really know it was accurate? But in the grand scheme of things, 300 years, again, is, is not a very long time, especially um, when they didn't have television clogging their brain. Um, but this is pretty much all they talked about and did all day, every day, right? Um, and, and, and so we see that. But we can ultimately trust that the New Testament is true and was put together and the, and the Holy Spirit has uh, inspired that together. So uh, let's pray together.
Um, Father God, we do thank you that you have given us your word, uh, that you have spoken through um, the authors of these New Testament books, uh, that you have used them and and allowed them to use their gifts to write exactly what you would have them to say um, so that it may uh, so that your word may be useful um, to us for, for teaching and to know you better and to follow your will. And I just thank you for that. And I do thank you for um, the men who were at these church councils who sat there for hours and, and cared enough uh, to make sure they got it right and to make sure they followed your will. And, and may we, um, as a church and as a people, may we live our lives in such a way that we care enough to make sure that we're following your will, that we make sure that we're glorifying you and all that we do. So be with us, Father. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.